alignment, retuning, recalibration. Those are all parts of life in this world. We have to tune the piano here every few months because it slowly goes out of tune as the days and the weeks go on. If you buy new tires for your car, they may wear out fast or faster. They may wear unevenly if you don't also get an alignment uh, on your suspension in your car. More importantly, instruments on heavy machinery, in plants, uh, on planes, on trains, on trucks, they need to be checked, right? They need to be checked on a regular basis to make sure they're working properly. They need to be calibrated. For instance, uh, the altimeter on an airplane. It's pretty important for the pilot and the passengers that the altimeter works so that people can know how high off the ground the airplane actually is. As we begin the process as a church body of nominating and electing folks to serve on the senior pastor search committee, as we look to call a senior pastor, as we look to identify and train and elect new elders and deacons in the life of South Baton Rouge, we want to make sure that our thinking, that our hearts, that our vision is aligned with God's word. We want our thoughts and our attitudes and our expectations to be in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace. So as we look for people to lead us, what should we be looking for? What is biblical leadership? What are the basic qualities and qualifications for those that we want to lead us as a church body? And beyond that, what are the attitudes and the actions and the characteristics that we want to cultivate in ourselves, in our church, in our families, no matter what role we play in the kingdom of God? What are the things that we want to see grow and develop in us as God's people? Well, in order for us to think about those things together, I think there is, there's one principle that stands out. As we think about what true biblical leadership is, I believe there's one thing that continues to rise to the surface and to the top, and it's a principle that should shape and color everything that we think about biblical leadership, and it's simply this, servant leadership. Servant leadership. It's a concept I want us to think through and meditate on over the next month or so as we meet together on Sundays. I want to see how it applies in every area of our lives. I want to see how that idea of servant leadership applies specifically as we think about a pastor, as elders, and deacons. And so this morning, I want us to begin by taking a few minutes from Mark chapter 10 to look at what servant leadership truly is. And it shouldn't be a shock to you that the place where we go the person to whom we go to find out about servant leadership is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So let's look together at Mark chapter 10. And the first thing that we see from Mark chapter 10 is simply this. We see the epitome of servant leadership. We see the epitome of servant leadership. In Mark chapter 10, in this place in in Mark's gospel, we're in the middle of this growing tension in Jesus' life and ministry. In Mark chapter 8, we have... 
we have the turning point of Mark's gospel where he tells his disciples plainly and simply that I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priests, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'll rise again from the dead. And in Mark 10, Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's on the road to Jerusalem. He's on that final part of his mission as the Messiah. And as he heads into Jerusalem, Mark 10, verses 32 through 34, tell us, the heading says, Jesus foretells his death for a third time. And there are a few things that we can see about how Jesus epitomizes servant leadership from this passage. First of all, we see here that Jesus was a man on a mission. He was a man on a mission. There are a few clues we have here. We know more from the other gospel accounts. Jesus wasn't simply walking to Jerusalem. He was on a mission. We say that about folks who have purpose in their life, right? If they're ready to do something, if there's nothing that's going to stop them, we say she's on a mission or he's on a mission. And kids, you've probably seen your parents at times when they're committed or set to do something and uh, you just kind of get out of the way because it's exciting, it's confusing, and maybe it's a little bit scary. And that's what the passage says here. Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed Those who followed him were afraid. Jesus was set to go to Jerusalem to accomplish his mission. He was a man on a mission. He had his mind and his heart set on Jerusalem, on sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, on the cross, on taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew what was in store for him, yet he went forward and he led his disciples every step of the way. He had the plan that he and the Father and the Spirit had in mind from from eternity past to rescue people like us. He had that in his heart and in his life. Living with a renewed sense of God's mission is one of the ways that we can grow in servant leadership. Jesus epitomizes servant leadership, and another way that he does that is he he tells it like it is. He speaks the truth to the disciples. In verse 33 of Mark chapter 10, um, he pulls the disciples aside. He tells them plainly and simply, See, look, behold, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him, and after three days, he will rise again from the dead. He clearly told the disciples what was in store. It's one of the things God does. He he speaks to us clearly. He told them There would be pain, there would be disappointment, there will be victory. We'll look at this later, but a growing part of servant leadership is honestly acknowledging the hard and difficult things that we face and celebrating the victory and the glory that we have with God. Jesus didn't sugarcoat what was ahead of them. He didn't sugarcoat what following him would be like. 
but he also showed them that it would absolutely be worth it. And so Jesus epitomizes servant leadership for us because he was a man on a mission. He tells it like it is. And one of the things he does here is he essentially says, let me show you. Have you ever been trying to explain something to someone and the words just don't really work and you just say, just, just let me show you. This is how you put your fingers on the football on the laces right here to throw it. This is how you kick a soccer ball and this is how you swing a hammer. Let me just show you how to do it. Jesus goes on to teach us about servant leadership. But he not only uses words, he uses his life. He shows us his life epitomizes servant leadership. He walked into Jerusalem, the place where he knew he would lay down his life. He led his disciples there too. He told them, full disclosure, what would happen, how things would go down. He told them that he was with them. He cared for them. He loved them every step of the way. Jesus Christ epitomizes servant leadership for us. And if we want to grow in servant leadership, if we want to um, identify folks who are servant leaders, we want our hearts and our minds to grow in this, then they need to be retuned and recalibrated and aligned with who Jesus Christ is. See, he not only shows us what servant leadership is, but the way that we're transformed and changed is by meditating on and being transformed by Jesus himself. You remember what 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says. It says this, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. So if you want to grow in servant leadership, if you want to grow as a Christian, it happens as we reflect the glory of Jesus Christ, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only is he an example of servant leadership, but focusing on him and Gazing on Jesus, learning more about him, being transformed. That's how we're changed. So Jesus epitomizes servant leadership. Another thing that we see from Mark 10 is the opposite of servant leadership. We see the opposite here. Contrast is one of the best ways for us to see things, right? You see something in the light of its its opposite. And in Mark 10, verses 35 through 42, we see a couple examples of what servant leadership is not. We've probably all said it or thought it at times. Um, I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, but it's not that. Um, I've been kind of looking on the internet at cars recently, and I don't know exactly what car I might want to get next. And if this is your car, please forgive me. But I know I don't want a Nissan Cube. I know that's not what I want. Um, Here we see the opposite of servant leadership. In Mark 10, the disciples are probably stressed, they're confused, they're sad, they're feeling pressure of what's going down. And Jesus tells them, he tells them plainly what's 
going to happen, that he would soon be killed. Let's stop for a second there and think about the opportunity that the disciples had at this point to come alongside Jesus and to minister to him and to say, we love you, Lord. How can we help? Maybe they could just stop and hug him and weep with him at the thought of the cross and what was ahead. But instead, James and John step in to ask Jesus a question, not along the lines of what do you need or how can we help? Their question was along the lines of what can we get out of this situation? It was the opposite of servant leadership. We see it in the disciples. I'm not sure exactly what they were thinking, but James and John decide now is the time to spring our question. And from one of the other gospels, we know that their mother was involved in this. And uh, they go to Jesus and say, we want you to give us whatever we ask. That's a bold way to start, isn't it? And uh, Jesus humors them and he says, what would you like? What, what do you ask? And they said, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand in glory. And Jesus asked them, are you ready to drink the cup that I'll drink, to be baptized with the baptism with which I'll be baptized? Are you willing to go through the suffering that I'm going to endure so that you can sit at my right hand and my left hand? And they say glibly, yes, we're ready. We'll do it. Jesus knows they have no idea what they're going through or what they will go through, but he guides them every step of the way. And he goes on to tell them that it's not his call. It's for those that it's been prepared and in some sense, this, this question, this request by James and John, it does show some faith. They did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did believe at some point that he would have glory and they'd be able possibly to sit at his right and his left hand. But it's also a very self-serving request. They wanted the glory. They wanted the recognition. They wanted to be top dogs in Jesus' kingdom. And one of the things we see is they wanted it the easy way. They wanted the crown without the cross. They wanted the honor without the humiliation. And Jesus said it just a few chapters earlier. If you want to be my disciple, you must follow me, take up your cross, And deny yourself. And it's interesting that we read in verse 41 that the other disciples were indignant. They were so mad about what James and John had done. And I'd like to think they were mad at the question. But most commentators believe they were mad basically because James and John got to Jesus before they could. And so uh, this is what one person says. They probably wanted these high posts for themselves. If we focus on what we can get... The glory, the renown, the praise, the applause, the honor, the position, then our hearts are not set on servant leadership. And we won't get to experience the true greatness that Jesus talks about in this passage. The disciples themselves are an example of the opposite of servant leadership. Jesus goes on to explain to them also uh, that. 
The Gentiles were an example of the opposite of servant leadership. He says in verse 42, look with me, Jesus called them to him and said to them, I like, I like to picture Jesus gathering them around, you know, like a, the sports team, bring it in, guys, bring it in. And he's going to teach them. And he tells them specifically, even though they disappointed him and not understanding what his kingdom was about, even though he was on the way to the cross, he takes time to teach and instruct. And he does the same for us. He continues to use contrast. He says in verse 42, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority. But Jesus isn't simply bashing Gentiles here. He's using an example that they would understand from their world. And he's saying, you know the paradigm for leadership that, we, that, that is all around us. Rule with an iron fist. To be a real leader, you have to be strong and confident and ruthless. You have to let people know who's boss at all times, no matter what. Essentially, Jesus is saying here, you know how the world works. And what I'm telling you is that my kingdom is different. You know what others think about real greatness and real leadership. That's the opposite of servant leadership that I prize and that I demonstrate in my life. So Jesus epitomizes servant leadership. He shows us the opposite of servant leadership. And then he explains. He explains what servant leadership is all about. He goes on to explain the way of the kingdom of God is different from what you know. Greatness and power and glory and leadership is not measured by the number of servants you have or the number of people that work for you. It's found through humble service. It's not in how high up the ladder you can climb, stepping on people all along the way. That's about how low down the ladder you're willing to to climb to serve and care for people. We've all seen extension ladders up on the side, maybe on the side of our own house, maybe on the side of a building, maybe up on the telephone pole as as utility workers are working. Uh, But a few, I think it was this past year, uh, the city put in new sewer lines in my neighborhood. And sewer lines, I don't know if you realize this, but they're dug pretty deep down into the ground. So there were these huge holes, these giant trenches in our neighborhood. And those same ladders that we see people climbing up onto the roof of their house, they were used for these men to climb down into the trench so that they could put in the pipes to replace the sewer lines. And in some way, that illustrates the way that we think about life as God's people. We're called to, to go down the ladder of service. That's the path of greatness. That's the path that Jesus says is at the heart of true servant leadership. He says it, first of all, in verse 43, it shall not be this way among you. You know that the Gentiles lord it over people. They control people. They're ruthless. That's not the way that we're called to lead. Then he says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
That word servant is the same root word for deacon. The one who attends to the needs of others, who cares for others, who takes care of others. That's part of Jesus' plan for servant leadership. Greatness and leadership in his kingdom comes through service. He goes on to say, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Literally, that word is bondservant. Someone whose life is given basically in indentured servitude to another person. And what Jesus is saying here is that these these who want to lead and serve should be bondservants to everyone. True greatness at the heart is not climbing on the top and stepping on everyone you need to to get there. It's about serving and caring for others. And then in verse 45, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible he explains that this is found fully in himself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's what we talked about. That's what we professed this morning as we professed our faith. The ultimate expression of servant leadership, Jesus Christ, he came not to be served, not to get things, not for people to take care of him, but he came to serve. He came to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Everything in Jesus' life was an expression of this servant leadership. And he's given us the privilege, as his children, of serving one another, of serving a lost and dying world. And here are some of the practical questions, some of the practical implications that we can think through about servant leadership. Three things, three Three points of application that I want us to think through. First of all, because Jesus, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is our ultimate servant leader, we can ask ourselves some questions. You know, questions sometimes are the best way to get at where we really are. They're diagnostic tools that can help us. And so these are questions that we can ask ourselves. These are, these are you and Jesus in front of the mirror questions that you can ask. And they're just the beginning. How often do I think about serving other people? How often do I move forward and actually serve those that I thought might need help? Are there situations where I jump in to serve, or do people usually have to ask me if I would be willing to help? Do I initiate in service? When I serve, am I looking for people to pat me on the back and tell me that I'm doing such a great job, or am I serving for the glory of Jesus Christ? Are there tasks in your home at your work, maybe at the church, or other situations in your life where you think, you know what, that's way beneath me. There's no way that I should ever have to do that. Those are just a few questions that might help us think about where we are in terms of servant leadership personally in our lives. Secondly, Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is our ultimate servant leader, we can look for growth in service. 
We can ask ourselves some questions about service, but we can look for growth in service. Part of the way for us to grow in serving others, to grow in servant leadership, is to be honest and admit that there are times, maybe more often than we'd like to admit, that we don't want to serve, that we don't serve other people, where we don't follow Jesus' lead. And remember how patient Jesus was with his disciples. He's patient with us as well. And in us growing in service can mean us confessing our sins to God and turning to him in repentance and prayer and chatting with our family and our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ at church and ask questions about, man, how can I grow? How can we grow in serving one another? As you think about folks that you want to lead us in servant leadership, we're not looking for perfect people. We are looking for people who are willing to admit that they're not perfect, that they need help, and that want to grow in servant leadership, who admit they're wrong and repent and humbly move forward. That's the second application as we think about servant leadership. The last one is this. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the ultimate servant leader, we can think about priorities in service. We can think about priorities in service. It's easy for me, and I'd be willing to bet it's probably easier for you to be selfish with your time, with your money, with your plans. But it's also very important for us to remember that true servant leadership begins at home. It begins close to home, and it works its way outward, kind of like concentric circles. And so when we think about priorities in servant leadership, one of the first things that servant leaders are committed to is their relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are stale, if you have little or no life or fulfillment in your walk with Jesus Christ, but you serve and serve and serve and serve, you know what will happen? You'll become burned out. You'll become cynical. You'll become resentful of other people. It's like running your your car without any oil in the engine. It may work for a little while, but eventually the the engine will blow up and the car will, will be broken. To grow and develop as servant leaders, we need to walk closely with our servant leader, Jesus Christ. And that's not just for people that are thinking about becoming elders or deacons. That's for every one of us. We all want to grow in servant leadership. Those priorities in leadership also translate to loving and serving the people in our homes, the people that are closest to us, our spouses, our brothers, our sisters, our roommates. Isn't it interesting it's easier sometimes for us to take care of and serve people out there and we can forget the people that are close to us or we can neglect them. And this is part of the the, the priority in servant leadership is that we care for sometimes the people that are the most difficult to love, people that live under the roof of us. 
And we're committed in concrete ways to love and care for them. So as we think about servant leaders, think about the folks who make their relationship with Jesus Christ a priority. Think about folks who serve their families and those closest to them. And think about people who serve others. Sacrificially, intentionally committed service to others through the church and outside the church. It can be local. It can be international. It's all part of Jesus' call for us to pursue and cultivate servant leadership in ourselves, in our families, in our churches. Over the next few weeks, we will think specifically about what this servant leadership looks like in pastors and elders and deacons. We'll be just skimming the surface, but we'll look at different passages, thinking through those, and we'll look to retune and recalibrate our minds and our hearts in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you think about moving forward, as you think about the next months or the next weeks, what to do next, who to nominate, who to elect, how to proceed, there's one thing that's become very obvious to me. And I bet it's become obvious to you as well. We need God's help. I mean, we know that, right? It's a normal part of life. But sometimes in life, uh, we sense it a little more than at other times. We need God's help. I've sensed it. Lying in my bed when I should be sleeping. Wondering what's going to happen next. What should we do? What about this? What about that? Then I remember, God... I need you. I don't know what's going to happen, God. Please have mercy on us. Be with us. Maybe this reminder about servant leadership is a call for us to cultivate and pursue and and look for it and grow in it. But most of all, it's an invitation for us to ask God to help lead us and guide us in our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. Help us, O God. That could be a renewed commitment for each one of us, right? To trust in and lean on God. An invitation to come back to Jesus with our lives. And if you're here this morning and you have doubts about the faith or you're investigating the claims of Christianity... What better invitation for you than this? We need God's help. We were not meant to live our lives, to navigate this life on our own. We need help. I bet you know that. And there's help and there's hope and it's found in Jesus Christ and His gospel. And that hope is for you, freely offered through Jesus. So Jesus Christ is... The epitome of servant leadership, we see the opposite of it in this text, and then he explains it to us. And the takeaway is, God, we need your help. Let's pray.